Well, good morning. If it's snowing, it must be Sunday. I don't know why it seems to snow so often on Saturday night and Sunday mornings. As <clears throat> we get started, I feel the need, un uh, unusually so, to pray. I um, just want to pause and ask God if I didn't sleep well last night. I'm not sure how I feel about this manuscript, if we're on speaking terms or not, uh, this morning. And um, I know that uh, in my feeling insufficient, God is sufficient and his intention is to meet us here. So please join me as I pray and we appeal to him for his help. Oh God, who is weak and we are not weak? Who is strong like you? You are the king of glory. You are great and mighty. There is no place we can flee from your presence. You are in every place and you are present here now to bless. Present with every person watching online to bless. And I pray for your presence and your help. These words are not empty words. These 11 verses are the living words of the living God intended to strengthen and comfort and correct and prepare and equip every believer and to call outsiders into the kingdom of God. So, Holy Spirit, do what only you can now. I pray, bring the aroma of Christ into this message and work with us for our joy, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you've ever had the experience with a song where you have a song that you fall in love with and you listen to it over and over and then there's that moment where you think, I hate this song and I don't ever want to hear it again. Like you know where the needle just hits that spot of like, please don't, don't make me hear that, that song again. Um, imagine what it's like as a hearer to have that experience. Well, imagine what it's like as a writer of a song to actually write a song that becomes super popular and then to be sentenced to sing it every concert for the rest of your life. I came across a song that was written by someone who wrote one of those really super popular songs and then six years later he wrote these words in response to having to sing this song all the time. He, he says, You can take the stained glass from my window you can drink my whiskey and champagne. You can drive a plow across my golf course, but please don't make me sing that song again. Please don't make me sing that song again. Now, I tell you this story. What does this have to do with the sermon? Well, this is an illustration by contrast. Please don't make me sing that song again. We may tire of hearing a song. We may tire of singing a song. But by contrast, we will never tire of hearing what God has done for us in Christ. Never going to get tired of that. This story of what God has done for us in Christ can be told in so many different ways. We can talk about atonement or redemption or reconciliation or this morning we're talking about what God has done for us in Christ through the lens of new covenant. The new covenant comes into view in this passage. The new covenant brings into view this 
this covenant relationship, this binding relationship that God has entered into with his people through Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. This new covenant is so great, it will never be improved upon. It'll never be new and improved beyond what it is right now. It'll never be replaced. It'll never become obsolete. Now, what is it about this new covenant that makes it so great? Covenant isn't an idea that's familiar to to many of us. It's not something that we typically talk about in our culture today. But we will come to understand (coughs) the glory of this new covenant, the greatness of this new covenant as we go through this passage. And we're going to open it up and see three reasons why the new covenant is so great. What makes the new covenant so great? Three things we're going to see today. First, it transforms hearts, transforms the heart. Second, it's empowered by the Spirit. And third, it reveals God's glory. That's what's sitting before us in these 11 verses of Spirit-inspired scripture this morning. So what makes the new covenant so great? Let's start with verses 1 to 3. It transforms the heart. It transforms human hearts. So by way of reminder, verse 1, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but what? But with the Spirit. The Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Now, whenever we're in 2 Corinthians, we've got to take a moment to understand the situation because this letter emerges out of a particular situation. And so, What's going on here? What's the deal with these letters of recommendation and this idea of commending ourselves? So Paul, who's writing this letter, had planted this church a couple years earlier and things have not been going well. Things aren't going well inside the church and they're not going well in his relationship with the church. He, because of all that's going on there, has several times had to change his plans to visit the church and even though he's doing that with their best interest in mind, they seem to be concluding that he's become fickle and unreliable. Worse, there are leaders who have infiltrated the church and they probably have brought with them letters of recommendation, letters that they're using to commend themselves to the church, but their leadership is more worldly than Christian and they're leading this church away from Paul And his leadership, they're eroding confidence in him. And worse, far more serious, they're leading this church away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll see much more about that in the the end of the letter. So Paul's got a dilemma. What would you do if you were in this situation? How do you prove the authenticity of your ministry? How do you defend your ministry to these people? If he boasts of his resume to them, well then he's just acting like these worldly leaders and he's reinforcing their style of leadership. If he doesn't do anything, well, the church may be lost to a false gospel. So, so what does he do? How does he prove the authenticity of, of his ministry? You have this experience if you're online, right? You want to you log into your, your bank's website. And you put in your username and you put in your password. And, and then they say, okay, now there's another step to verify, to authenticate who you are. And they, they, they want to text 
you. They want a, a second factor to authenticate. Is it really you? Is it genuinely you? So that authentication is needed to get into that website. Well, this church needs an authentication that, that Paul really is this, this minister of the, of the gospel that they should be listening to. And he has a brilliant response right here. He says, do I need to send a letter of recommendation? No, actually I don't. You know why? Because you've already got one. And you know what it is? It's you. You are my letter of recommendation. He says, you ourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on hearts. So what he's saying is that in his coming to this church, to, the, to this group of people, there wasn't a church when he got there, as he comes and preaches the gospel, dramatic change has taken place in the hearts of these people. The Spirit has worked through the preaching of, this, uh, of the gospel in these people in Corinth who'd never heard about Jesus before. And he's saying, look, you're no longer liars. You're no longer thieves. You're no longer sexually immoral people. You've been washed and you've been changed from the inside out. God has been at work on your hearts. Christ has been uh, uh, delivering a letter through them and it's been written not with ink but written by the Spirit on their hearts. They're being transformed from the inside out. God is writing the constitution of his kingdom on their hearts and they've been transferred into a new kingdom and that's all working out on the inside. Now this is so insightful. This is so vital. Christianity has the most realistic view of the human condition. Unlike all other religions that are some kind of self-improvement program, Christianity is a heart transplant program, right? It's a start over with a new control system on the inside and change works from the inside out program. It's a transformation of the heart by the power of the Spirit program. And I love what happens here. He not only reminds them of what the Spirit's done in their hearts, but he reminds them of what the Spirit's done in his heart. Did you catch that? Look at verse 2. You're a, a letter of recommendation written on our hearts. Do you know when Christ is preached, people come to faith and a work of the Spirit happens in people's hearts. And people not only are given a new desire and, and, and the law, the word of God is written in their hearts so they can follow him, but names are written there too. You're written on our hearts. Because the Spirit not only works in people to help them follow Jesus, the Spirit works in people to help us become a new spiritual family and a community. The Spirit has written names on my heart, on your heart. And this is so encouraging because as we prepare to unite with Sojourn Church, we can do this knowing that the Spirit's going to be busy. We're not going to be alone in this unifying of the churches. But you can expect in these days and weeks and months ahead as you do a Zoom call, as we meet together for a men's breakfast, as we start doing joint services together, as we get to know these new brothers and sisters, the Spirit's going to be writing those names on all these hearts so that we can love one another because that's how he works. The new covenant is so great because it transforms, it changes human hearts. Second, the new covenant is so great because it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Look back at verse 4. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves 
to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency comes from where? Where is his confidence? Comes from God, right? Who's made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Oh, this is so encouraging. Where's the power when you meet with a friend and share something about God's word with them? Where's the power when you share the gospel with someone? You know, we live in the celebrity culture here, celebrity church culture here. It's probably similar to what the Corinthians were living in and with there. We have these Christian stars, these best-selling authors, these speakers who speak at these conferences with thousands of people, and they can seem so insightful and so together, and we think, I could never be like that. And yet right here, the guy who's actually writing this letter is maybe the greatest Christian evangelist ever, the greatest church planter ever, the greatest Christian writer. He's writing scripture. And you know what he says? He says, here's our confidence. Look at my resume. No, that's not what he says. Here's my confidence. Look at my gifts. Look how many people come when I preach. No, here's my confidence. Here's our confidence. It's not us. We can't do anything on our own. We are not sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. Anything as coming from us. It's God who has made us adequate for what we do. Isn't that lovely? Isn't that encouraging? And what's he doing? He's a minister of a new covenant. He says, God has made us ministers of a new covenant. That word minister, what, what is that? We use that sometimes as sort of a, a label for a, a clergy person, a, a professional pastor, something like that. But the word in Greek is the same word we use for the word deacon. It, it's just the word for servant. It's literally a servant. It's a servant of the new covenant. Think about when you go to a restaurant, you make your order, and you're, you give that order to your server, and at some point the server goes into the kitchen and scoops up a plate of food and brings it out and serves you your meal. That's, that's ministerial work. That's diaconate work. That's the work of, of, of a servant. And Paul's just saying, I'm a servant of the new covenant. I'm trying to deliver this new covenant to you. Now, what's a covenant? Again, we don't use that, that terminology very much, but a covenant is an agreement. If you think of two, two parties, two people or God and a, and a person or God and a group of people, the covenant is the agreement that binds those parties together. It holds them together. One place we do see this is at weddings. A wedding is a place where a man and a woman make a covenant between themselves before God for life. There's this agreement and it's, it, it's, it's, it's summarized in these vows at a, at a wedding. So God has entered into a covenant with his people. Genesis 17, 7 is sort of the, the baseline of it. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. There's this binding agreement to bring these two parties together. And so Paul's saying we're ministers of a new covenant. Well, that means there must have been an old covenant, right? And he'll refer to that old covenant in the passage that Vince will be preaching from next week, the, the, the following paragraph, verses 12 to 18. So what is this old covenant? Well, back in Exodus, and we, we looked back here, if you were here for the series in the Ten Commandments, back in Exodus, God makes a covenant with people. He delivers Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He says, 
you're mine. And now I want to tell you how to remain in a relationship with me. I've set you free, and I want to show you what freedom looks like as, as my people. And so he calls Moses to come up on the mountain to meet with him, and he gives Moses these two tablets of stone. We see this reference to tablets of stone in this passage. Paul's reflecting on, he's thinking about what happens back there. God gives Moses these two tablets of stone. You know what those were? Those were the Ten Commandments that summarized the, 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 the Old Covenant law and, and summarized this covenant. And he says, um, he, God, God writes these for Moses and, and puts them into his hands. And so that's this Old Covenant, this agreement for Israel to be God's people, for God to be their God. And, and it's generally a disaster in how it works out can read your Old Testament and see how it works out. Even though the people keep promising to follow him, they keep rebelling and coming under his judgment. They're actually doing that even while Moses is up on the mountain. They're rebelling. They're, ha they're having a big idolatrous party that's going to bring them under God's judgment when Moses comes down. And then you can read the book of Judges and you can see how this works out. And then you can see how the nation uh, splits into, into two nations, Israel and Judah. And then you can see how they're under such judgment from God because they can't stay in this covenant. They can't keep this law. They end up in exile in Babylon. What's the problem? Is it a bad covenant? No, there's nothing wrong with the covenant. The problem is bad hearts. The people can't keep God's commands and won't keep God's commands. It's an internal problem. And the law reveals their wayward and rebellious nature. Pause here and learn this. Parents, Make sure this is clear as you work with your kids. These people had God's grace and they had education, but it wasn't enough. It's not enough to experience grace and learn the rules and learn the word and learn God's ways. We need more than that. What do we need? The prophet Jeremiah says, God through, God, through, through the prophet, God, God says, I will make with, with my people a new covenant. And what will he do? I will write my laws on their hearts. Can you see that in our passage? That's what happens when the Spirit comes. Ezekiel 36, verse 27. Through the prophet, God says, I will put my spirit where? See what it says? Within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So what God is saying here is for you to be able to follow him, he's got to give you a new heart. You can't do it on your own. Parents, your kids not only need to know God's ways, they need the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. They need new hearts. That person that you're talking to about the Lord not only needs to know who Jesus is and, and what his kingdom is all about, they need to know that they can't do it on their own. They must be born again by the power of the Spirit put my spirit in you and Jesus comes to keep these promises so Jesus before he ascends he's, he says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and you'll be my witnesses they're going to receive power to not only talk about Jesus but to represent him to the ends of the earth and that power of the Holy Spirit has come all the way to 5200 Ox Road 
and wherever you're watching this message today. This new covenant is empowered not by Ten Commandments, not by words alone, however great and perfect and good they are, but by the power of the Spirit to make hearts new and to enable us to walk in God's ways and keep his commands. It's a covenant not of the letter, but of the Spirit. This is so encouraging. This means, brothers and sisters, you are not alone in walking out the Christian life. This means you're not left to your own resources, to your own willpower. You have the Spirit in you, and it's by the Spirit's power that you can find comfort in every affliction. By the Spirit's power this week, you can be the fragrance of Christ wherever you go. By the Spirit's power, you can be ambassadors for Christ. By the Spirit's power, you can pursue holiness in the fear of the Lord. God has come and put his Spirit in us. Isn't that good news? So encouraging, so hopeful. Finally, the new covenant, so great because it reveals the glory of God. I want to zero in on verses 7 and 8 here. There's a, there's a lot going on in this, this little paragraph, but the gist of this paragraph is it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. All right, And you, you, can, get, you can get that in verses 7 and 8. So listen to what he says. Notice the if here at the beginning. If the ministry of death, what's that? What's he talking about? That's this old covenant. If the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which is being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So if there was glory here, now the ministry of the Spirit will have even more glory. All right, so there's a, there's a lesser and there's a greater. To understand what's going on here, to understand the experience of glory that you have as Christians today, as people of the new covenant, we've got to understand the background. You've got to know your Bible to get this story. What is the glory of God? And what was the glory of the old covenant, particularly the glory that, that he's referring to with, with Moses here? So let me retell the story. You can go back and read Exodus 19 and Exodus 24 and Exodus 34, and we'll see this theme will carry forward into next week's message as well. But here, here's the deal. As I said earlier, God is making this covenant with Israel, and how's he doing it? Practically, how's it working? How is God communicating with the nation? Well, Moses is the mediator. He's the go-between. And so Moses meets with God. So God says to Moses, come on up on the mountain. And when Moses comes up on the mountain, God's glory, it says in chapter 24, covers the mountain. There's, there's, it says it's, his glory was like a consuming fire. There's thunder. There's trumpet sounds. There's thick smoke. There's this fire. And, and that, that's all the glory of God. What is it? Moses goes up there by himself. Nobody else can come. They'll die if they, if they follow him. That's what they're told. What is this, this glory that covers the mountain? It's the manifest presence of God. It's God present on the scene revealing himself. And then in chapter 34, 
When Moses is coming down from Mount Sinai, he's got the two tablets of the testimony. This is sort of round two after the, the first time that, that he had to come down and, and Israel had, had rebelled. He goes back up and, and sort of starts over and he comes down with these two tablets of the testimony in his hand. And, and it says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone why? Think about this. Because he'd been talking with God. Wow. And Aaron and all, Aaron's his brother, and Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. Moses has got the two tablets of the law, these two stones. When the people see him, they're afraid to come near him because, why? Because there's this radiance on his face. His face is shining. Moses has been in the presence of God. He's been experiencing God's glorious presence. God on the scene, present, making himself known. He's been talking with God. Did you catch that that line in there? He'd been talking with God and now the radiance of God's presence lights up Moses' face and so eventually he ends up covering his face with a veil. Now, what is the glory here? The glory is God present with Moses making himself known with his glorious power. That's the glory of the Old Covenant. But as, as, as we see, as you read the Old Testament and as, as we see this, this meditation here, this wonderful experience that Moses is having and then coming down to communicate with Israel, it leads to condemnation because they rebel. It leads to death because of the judgment. And it's temporary. It doesn't continue permanently because it's not producing what God intends and that is a people in intimate relationship with him. So there was glory in that, but it was in, 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 in a sense a failure. It couldn't do what it was intended to do. Think about this as well. Who gets the radiant face? The priests? All the families? No, just one guy. Moses is on the mountain. One guy for one time or once in a while in one place. But God is preparing the way for something far greater. And when Jesus comes, listen to what his disciple John writes about him later. We beheld his glory. You get that? See what he's saying? We beheld his glory. Hebrews 1, 3. He's the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus is the personal manifestation of the presence of God. To see Jesus is to see God. And to be in Jesus' presence is to be in the presence of the glory of God. Now that glory was veiled. It, it wasn't clear to everybody who was around him. But when he comes back, that glory will be clear to all who see it. So Jesus comes and through his death and resurrection, he opens the way for the spirit to be poured out in this new covenant on who? Who's going to get the presence of God in the new covenant? One guy? One mediator? One high priest? A few pastors or missionaries or seminary professors or conference speakers? Who's going to get the spirit? 
No, he will pour out his spirit on all flesh and his sons and his daughters will prophesy. The, the glory of the new covenant is that the spirit will be poured out on all people and all people, that means, will be able to experience personally the presence of the glorious God himself. Now, every Christian experiences God's glory through his presence by the Spirit. How is the glory of the new covenant greater than the old covenant? It's greater because it's not limited to one person in one place at one time, but it's for all believers in all places at all times, and it is Permanent, verse 11, if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. This is permanently the situation. You experience God's presence now, and when Christ returns and the new heavens and the earth are created, there will be a far more incredible experience of his presence and his glory. To be a Christian is to live in the presence of the glorious God. Every Christian has a direct relationship with the God who talks to us through his word and listens to us talk to him in prayer. Our lives can radiate the glorious presence of the living God. Have you ever noticed that when you hang around Christians? There, there's, this, there's this radiance about believers. You, you sense this, don't you? You can't, couldn't prove it in a courtroom, but there's this sense of, the Lord is present in this person. That's the glory of God, presence, present by the power of the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, being conformed to the image of Christ. Oh, the new covenant is so wonderful because it transforms us from the inside out. It empowers us by the Spirit and it reveals God's glory to us. It actually incredibly puts God's glory in us by the person of the Spirit. Okay, what, what do we do with all this? How does this make a difference going into our week? Two questions. First this. Do you know, do you know this life-giving, covenant-making power of the Holy Spirit? Not know about it, now, I know somebody who talks about it. Now, I know somebody you can see it in. Do you know this power? No vaccine can deliver you from the power and the penalty of your own sins. No vaccine for that. But the Holy Spirit can, and he does, and he will if you will turn to Christ. Oh, repent of your sins. Turn to Jesus Christ and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and come to know this great God personally. Second, I want to ask you this. Are you a minister of the new covenant? Are you? Are you in ministry? Do you think of your life that way? As you go through your week, as you get up in the morning, as you look in the mirror, do you think, there's a minister right there. I'm in ministry. Think about it. Paul's gone. He's long gone. Who's doing this ministry now? Who, where are the ministers of the new covenant today? Pastors? Church planters? Well, sure. But how about you? 
How about you? Do you know a disciple is someone who knows and loves and obeys Jesus and encourages others to do the same? Do you know when you encourage someone, believer or unbeliever, when you encourage someone to to follow Jesus, do you know what, what you are in that moment? You're a minister of the new covenant. That's what you're doing. You're serving that person with the good news about Jesus. Our mission is to go into our world and make and equip growing disciples. Making disciples means bringing good news to lost people so they can turn to God. So they can be made alive by the Spirit. They can see the glory of God in the face of Christ. This is new covenant ministry and you can do this and God has given this ministry to you. And you think, I could never do that. I am way, way not able. That's, I'm not competent. I'm not mature enough. I'm not adequate. And I want to say, that is exactly right. Didn't Paul say exactly that? Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. Our sufficiency is from God. That's right. That's where it is. And you think, ah, when I try to talk to somebody about Jesus, I get all knotted up and afraid and I, and, and, and I just don't know what to say and I trip over my own tongue. W- welcome to the club, me too. But you know what? Our confidence isn't in our presentation. Our sufficiency isn't in our skill. Our confidence is through Christ toward God who makes us sufficient to be servants of this new covenant. Our sufficiency isn't us. It's the aroma of Christ coming through us. It's not about us. Our confidence isn't us. It's that God works through his people to give life to other people by the Spirit's power. If we try to talk to people about Jesus and they don't respond, we don't give up because it's not our job to change people. It's our job to deliver news. We're servants. Just get the meal out there and try not to drop it on the way out of the kitchen. That's my goal. That's what we're trying to do, right? It's our job to deliver the news. We spread the aroma of the gospel and we let the Spirit do what only the Spirit can do. This is the only message in the world that can truly change people from death to life, right? It's the only message in the world that can truly change people from death to life and that message has been entrusted to you and me. We are ambassadors for Christ. So let us go into the world with good news by the power of the Spirit and be the aroma of Christ. May we, no, not may we, we will never tire of telling this story and singing this song. Amen? We're going to transition here to having the Lord's Supper. We're thinking about covenant still. This old covenant that God made with Israel through Moses was preparing the way for something so much greater that we're celebrating here today. If you came in and you didn't get the elements, there's some tables in the back. You can grab them or you can head out to your kitchen if you're home. God the Son was coming into the world to fulfill the promises of Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Joel. He 
was coming to keep the law perfectly. He was coming to make the ultimate sacrifice for sin. He was coming to send the Holy Spirit so that we could be his witnesses. He was coming to make this new covenant. And we remember all this now, even as we anticipate being with him in person one day in the new Jerusalem. Do you know there won't be a sun or a moon there? Because he's going to be the light. The light of his glorious presence. And the Lord's Supper is a reminder of all that he's done and all that awaits us on that great day. And so if you'll take the bread, and I'll see if I can do that here. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he was with disciples. He was with followers like you and me. And he took some bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. And after the bread, he took the cup. Listen to what he says. He says, this cup is the new covenant. This cup is the new covenant. The better, permanent, life-giving covenant of righteousness. He took his blood, shed at a cross, to make that covenant possible for us. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And as we drink now, we remember him until he comes. Take and drink. We're going to go back to singing. One little administrative reminder, if you could, on your way out, bring those little cups with you and deposit them in the trash cans. That would be helpful. Please stand. We're going to sing to the King of Glory. <laughs>